0: Our second scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And The Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead, as far as Dan. All of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. All the land of Judah as far as the western Sea. the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho. The city of Palms as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, "This is the land of which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there." Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly God, we know that you have each given us a path, a path to run on, a path to follow you. As we meditate on your words, may we hear you. May we feel your still, small voice in our hearts, so we feel your love on our backs. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that each of us has beloved pastors who have told us stories we will never forget. I know there is someone over here whom I know has told you such stories to so many of you. Well, I have one that will go down as one of my favorite that popped into my head this week as I read our scripture text. One of my pastors, Reverend Randy Weber, and no, I don't think he's the best just because we share the last name, although I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) He told a story on the day of his retirement of an interaction that he had with a close colleague of his. I communicated with Randy this week to get a few more of the details of the story that I had forgotten, which he generously shared with me, and now I'd like to share with all of you. One of Randy's friends, Reverend Ken Jones, was the longest tenured pastor of their church, also the church where I grew up serving on staff for 33 years. There was one very snowy January Sunday when the church had a portrait of Ken dedicated and hung in what would later be named Jones Auditorium, where they have coffee fellowship. It was also the same day his book of prayers, leaning on the everlasting arms, was being signed by him and given out to the congregation. New York, where the church is located, was about to get hit with a significant snowstorm that began immediately after that morning worship service and dumped a total of 32 inches of snow on the city, which nearly collapsed the sanctuary roof. And that's a whole other story. At the time, Randy had worked alongside Ken for a little over four years. That afternoon, after the morning worship service, as it started to snow, Ken and Randy traveled together to the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where an elder was hosting a working lunch in her apartment. They had a lovely lunch and a productive meeting together, and then Ken and Randy began their journey back down to the church. By then, about six inches of snow had fallen, and so they took a very slow bus back downtown to the church as Randy was scheduled to preach and lead their 4 p.m. worship service that afternoon. When they got off the bus, Randy had only 20 minutes before he had to preach and lead the service. Ken looked down at his watch, and seeing the time, said to Randy, You run on ahead. As Randy turned to run to the chapel to preach, he didn't know at the time that he would be the very last person to see Ken and that those were likely Ken's last words as he died of a heart attack in his office at the church later that evening. He was found in his office the following morning. As Randy said, his final words took on greater meaning after Ken's passing. You run on ahead. These simple yet meaningful words would become the words Randy held onto for his entire ministry. They would inspire him to carry on what Ken had started to continue his calling, to continue to run on ahead in what God called him to do. In our scripture text this morning, we have a very different story of completing the race of faith compared to Randy and Ken, but still a story of passing the baton of faith, if you will a different form of running on ahead. We have Moses here at the end of his ministry, leaving those behind to continue on this journey and this story. What is not described here the actions that Moses took in order to get to this place where he is not able to bring his story to the completion he would have liked to have seen. As described by one theologian, back in Numbers 20, God commands Moses to bring water to the people by speaking to a rock. Instead, Moses speaks to the people and strikes the rock with his staff twice. Moses did not follow God's command and God reprimands Moses informing him that he would be prohibited from entering the land. Now this punishment seems harsh, especially considering that the water shortage experience in Numbers 20 is a repeat scene. In Exodus 17, Israel is also without water. There the people also quarrel with Moses. And in this instance, God does tell Moses to strike the rock with his staff. Obeying God's Every word also yet again in Numbers 17, Moses strikes the rock, and just as God promised, water pours forth. Because of his inability to follow God's instructions, though, in Numbers 20, Moses is left to survey the landscape and left out of entering the land, left out of finishing what he started. This story and this harsh punishment for a relatively harmless act, I'm sure, causes most of us to wonder, where is the grace in this story? The circumstances were too similar between Numbers 17 and 20 and Exodus 17. Why did God have to punish Moses after everything he has done for God's children? Well, we have to turn to another possible interpretation of this story in order to see another view. We have to move away from Moses, the prophet of prophets, and turn to the lesser-known Joshua. Our passage moves to consider what is to happen to all the Israelites and the journey of 40 years that they have been on. This completion of the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. God answers that God will give this land to Moses' Zarah or offspring, children, or descendants. In other words, the Israelites who have been traveling alongside Moses all this time, Moses' Placed at the sidelines as he was from the beginning with an Egyptian name and a separation from his people for a time. But is this passage and this conclusion not necessarily about Moses' punishment, but in fact, rather about his need to learn to teach? That he needs Joshua. That he needs to learn of this important relationship with this person and to recognize the success of being Joshua's mentor. That in fact, Moses has done everything he was called to do. And to recognize that Joshua has been taught well and that this is the most beautiful ending to Moses' incredible story. To speak words of encouragement, and to tell Joshua, you run on ahead. Before we run on ahead completely after Joshua continues in telling this faith story, we are also called to celebrate, to mourn, to sit with this grief, to recognize that there was still more that Moses wanted to do, to realize that he didn't want his story to end exactly like this. That is where we point towards next Sunday when we celebrate All Saints Sunday. Before we run on ahead, we remember the people who got us here. As we recognize Reformation Sunday, we recognize the stories of those who have changed how the church could have looked. We hold with value our history, how we changed and morphed into something our ancestors likely could have never imagined. We do all of this as we then pass the torch in trust to those who are coming next. We look to those who move us ahead. We look to our descendants, whoever they may be, to take hold of the work that needs to be done to create new things. To change our own outlooks, to change what the church looks like, even if maybe not what we imagined it to be. Our amazing young people move us ahead and equally importantly encourage us to keep going. To fulfill our call. That we still have much to do no matter where we are in our faith journey. That we are called to keep running, walking, or stumbling along with our faith. As we look back to the people who had a huge impact on our faith story John Calvin, Martin Luther, Moses, Joshua, and all of those a part of our story. We look back. We are invited to recognize that we are each human. We are not God who was in all time and with us at all time. We are a small piece of the story. And we are called to lift up, mentor, and listen to those around us in order to continue our faith. Who is that one person who you need to encourage today? Who would you like to work with in what God has called you to continue doing? On the day my pastor, Randy, preached, he spoke about how he always understood those words, you run on ahead, as both a benediction and a charge. A blessing and a charge Ken said over Randy as he passed the baton of ministry to him. And what turned out to be for Randy another 26 years of ministry at that very same congregation that Ken so loved. It was the charge for Randy to take the baton that Ken had passed to him. He said that he heard Ken's words throughout his years of ministry, especially through the difficult moments. On the day of Randy's retirement sermon, he had three actual physical batons that he presented individually to the pastors who were staying behind. These batons were engraved with the words, you run on ahead. As in retirement, he passed the baton on to each of them, just as Ken had to him. One of those same batons has since been passed yet to another pastor, a friend of mine at that same church. In the words of Randy, the race of faith is a constant process of handing off the batons to those who come behind us. To share the love and good news of Christ with the world. I couldn't agree more. You see, we each pass this baton and pieces of the baton to each other, and sometimes holding it together. We are called to build up, to nurture, to love, to enhance the lives of those who are continuing our work and to encourage others to work along with us because we don't have to do it alone. To recognize the gifts and truly the callings of those who have yet to be invited to the table. We are each invited to be those encouragers, to invite those who have yet to receive the invitation. We are called to be the ones to help continue telling this story. To run on ahead. We are not only called to do the work, but pass on this work to all of those to come. And let them tell the old sacred story. The story which pushes each of us to keep running the race, to which God alone calls us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.